Welcome to the Sea Change Show, where leaders are changing business culture for good. I'm your host, Maura Barclay. If you are a new listener, thank you so much for finding us and you did not find us by accident. Please take a moment to hit that plus sign, hit subscribe. Seriously, I am always amazed at the caliber of people who say yes to this show. I mean, it's incredible. You're not going to want to miss a single episode. And if you are a frequent flyer, thank you so much for coming back week after week and sharing us with your friends. It is because of you that this podcast has now been ranked in the top 5% of business podcasts worldwide. And I thank you for that. On this highlight episode of the Sea Change Show, I want to unpack something from the Steve Urban interview that dropped on Thursday, November 16th. Steve is the CEO and founder of Rider Flex, which is a, I believe it's a $3 million boutique recruiting agency. This man really knows what he's doing. And more importantly, he is just a slice of heaven. He is so soulful. He is so real. He has not allowed himself to be contained. He has not lost his humanity in business no matter what it is that he's done. He is a shining example of how to be human and be incredibly successful. Jeff Hoffman is another example of this. And it really speaks to their personal culture. Uh, gosh, I could just unpack this in this episode. Um, the thing that, I, that he talked about that nobody has talked about this far, it took a recruiter's point of view to bring this particular aspect of change I would say change management and culture change. He has this wonderful insight into the psyche of middle-aged white men, because that's who he is, but senior leaders, CEOs, and in the spaces where he's worked, he's he sees that there are people within the leadership team and it's homogenized leadership. And, and this is really at the heart of why I created this show. I know, I know for a fact, <laughs> I don't know how I know, I just know that I know that there is a significant population of white men of very different generations, in fact, but definitely a significant representation in the Gen X decades, or I should say the Gen X um, generation. They see a need a necessity to do things differently, specifically bringing in people with different backgrounds into their chief positions. They feel how important it's going to be for the longevity of the business to prevent obsolescence, to bring in people who don't look like them, who don't think like them, who don't talk like them, but know how to work with them provided that they're given the opportunity to do so in an inclusive environment, which is a whole nother podcast that highlight. The thing that Steve really brought into the light of day is the psyche of the men who ultimately need to be convinced this is the move we need to stay competitive and keep growing. Because that's the name of the game. At the end of the day, it is about growth and preventing the stagnation of the business. And the thing that is, okay, so let me just 
let me just offer, remind you what Steve said. If you didn't listen to that podcast, go back and grab it because you want to get Steve in your ears. You want to get Steve in your head. You want to get Steve in your heart. It's going to help you be a better business person <laughs> and possibly even a more happy person because he's amazing. Okay. He talks specifically about the leaders who say things like, like every they've got money in the bank, they've got cash coming in, right? Their balance, their their balance sheet looks good. The P and L statement is a happy statement, and there's this sense that it ain't broke. The other that is one paradigm that is difficult to penetrate. It's difficult to motivate that person who thinks that way, who believes those things. Okay. So it's difficult to motivate them to change, to get uncomfortable. Like, why would I go from this very comfortable place that's working and get uncomfortable? It's very difficult to motivate that person. All right. And then there is when the business starts to tank, when they're getting devoured by competitors who are adopting new ways of doing things, who are listening to the research and making changes and going through the difficulty of making those changes. The business starts to slip. The P&L is not such a happy statement anymore. This is not such a happy meeting anymore. And now, instead of thinking, well, gosh, we've got to change something, We've got to change something because obviously what we're doing doesn't work. That is a growth mindset speaking. Anybody who says it ain't broke, we're doing fine. Not a growth mindset. That is a fixed mindset. That mindset, when placed up against the background of the business starting to fail, what do you think they're going to say? Do you think that a failing business will finally create this, the, I guess the the sense of urgency for a fixed mindset to pivot and change, it's the opposite. A fixed mindset will double down because that's what fixed mindset does. When presented with success, the fixed mindset says, it ain't broke, don't fix it. When presented with struggle, challenge, or we'll say impending failure, Fixed mindset doubles down. We just need more. We just need to keep doing what we're doing, but more, right? Not necessarily different. Or if we are doing different, it can't feel too different than what we've been doing. So I thought it was important to highlight that's what Steve, whether or not he, he meant to be calling, whether or not he called it out of mindset, he's very familiar with it because he's a recruiter and he, he deals with these types of mindsets. They basically say, I want A to Z. I want it to be different, but it can't look, feel, taste, smell, or sound different. Go out in the marketplace, find it for me. And Steve's like, hmm. <laughs> okay. So he is a master of helping people reframe what they want to give them what they need. I want to say that again. Steve Urban of RiderFlex is a master of the reframe to change how people perceive what they want so that he can get them what they need. And that right there is a rare gift indeed. And I know he's happy. I would love to see him get into politics. 
<laughs> All right. So the first thing I wanted to highlight was the mindset that fuels the paradigm. And if you are a white male in a homogenized group, that means you're surrounded by other white men who have a very similar experience. Um, if you're white male, this, this experience will be similar. The, the rare exceptions are when there is a spiritual awakening of some kind and you're able to see people outside of your own, um, outside of your own privilege and entitlement. And, um, and I'm not saying that as a shame thing. It's just the, it's just, uh, how the system is built. So to be clear, when I talk about privilege and I talk about entitlement, I'm talking about a system and uh, not a person. It's the system that's set up to create ease and, uh, reduce obstacles for people who the system for whom the system is designed. Do you hear that? This is not about shame and guilt. No, this is about systems. So when you are a white male, you have been born into a system that was set up to help you succeed. Just that's, that's it. <laughs> you didn't ask for it. That's just how it is. So when we have a white male, who has an awakening of some kind. Maybe it's not a spiritual awakening. Maybe it's just like, huh, that doesn't make sense. That's all, that's that's fucked up. I, I don't want to participate in that system anymore. I want to change it. Maybe something as simple as that. They wake up somehow for whatever reason and they find themselves amongst other men who have not experienced this moment of dissatisfaction with the inequity of the, of the system and maybe don't even have a desire to change it or perhaps see the, the issue, but like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just one person. Quick sidebar. If every white man who thought, I see the inequities, but there's nothing I can do. I'm only one person. I would like to invite you into um, an additional thought, which is, uh, no one has ever pointed out to you how much power you have in the system. When the system is built for you, you have more power and influence than anybody else to make a change that really matters. I think I said this in one of my LinkedIn posts. The amount of effort it would take for a white man, this is completely on topic from the highlight here, because if you're dealing with that fixed mindset and paradigm and you are a white man sitting in that decision-making group on that senior leadership team at the C-level and you think, ah, there's nothing I can do. You are set up, even without the CEO or whoever the, whomever the fixed mindset or mindsets ha happen to be in the room, it does not matter. You don't necessarily have to get their buy-in and here's why. You are uniquely positioned as a white man because of the machine that was built for you. You are uniquely positioned to put in a small amount of effort and get a massive payoff. I, I put it like this. The amount of effort it takes a white man to create meaningful, lasting change around equity and inclusion is diversely proportional to the amount of power and influence they have. White men have the most power and influence in this culture, the end. That means 
and you don't know this, you don't see it because you're in it. You are a fish in the ocean. And the rest of us who are not white men are scuba diving and God forbid, you know, and skin diving. Some people have scuba gear and we can come and hang with you. And you can't figure out why it's so much effort for us to be there with you. And then you have people who, well, they don't have, they can't afford the scuba gear. They are snorkeling. So they have to constantly go up to the top, get air, come back down, pretend they can breathe, pretend they're comfortable. And then they're like, could you excuse me? And they go back up to the top. And then you have people who can't even afford the snorkel gear. And they're just holding their breath and pretending they can see underwater through the salt. But you're in it. You're in the ocean. That's what the privilege and entitlement of the, of the machine allows you to have. It's not your fault. It's This is not a blame and shame. I don't always want to keep repeating that. This is not your There's no fault here, folks. You don't know that you're in the ocean because you're in the ocean. <laughs> you are a fish in the ocean. Now, I'm using that analogy, and it can't really go past that because a fish is not trying necessarily to get out of the ocean. Okay. Uh, so that's just what that is, is that, and that this is a metaphor. That metaphor came to encourage you to see, you can't know that you're in the ocean. You can't know that you're breathing water because you're a fish. But when there's people who want to be in your environment and take advantage of all of the benefits that the ocean has to give, but we don't, we're not fish. Then we have to do a lot of, we have to do a lot of uh, gymnastics to get there. So anyway, let's let's be done with that metaphor for the time being. So you don't necessarily know that you're in the water breathing water. And when you have people reflect back to you, wow, I would love to be able to participate in that at some level. And I think anybody who makes men feel bad that they're fish is missing the boat. God, I can't stop. So you have, you are in a unique position and here's, here's the first thing that you can do, do build your teams to reflect the greatest competitive advantage capabilities that you can. That was a really awkward sentence. What I mean by that is competitive advantage has been proven to be diversity of thought, diversity uh, to, to get to decisions that will ultimately be better, smarter, stronger, faster. Homogenized leadership, homogenized decision-making teams simply cannot compete, not even slightly. Uh, I think I dropped this statistic while I was talking to Steve and I don't remember what study it was like a McKinsey or, or Gallup or something like that, or Gartner. The percentage of better decision-making, like the outcomes based on results, it was something crazy like 85, 83 to 85% of diverse decision-making teams. Or they make better decisions 83 to 80, let's just make it 83, 83% of the time. That's a very st significant statistic. So if you find yourself as a white male who has become aware that this is not working, this inequity is not working, this zero sum game is short-sighted and unsustainable, and suddenly you're, you're looking down the barrel of obsolescence in your company and you're like, someone's got to do something. And the fixed mindset in the room is not going to do anything but double down on what they've been doing. You have an opportunity to restructure your team, to bring in talent 
that can bring a lived experience and a perspective that is going to give you that competitive advantage, to give you that creativity, to give you that creative thinking that is going to create a solution that you never, ever would have gotten to without them in the room. Then suddenly the fixed mindset may see the value, but you got to lead the charge. And you don't have to ask permission because you're a C-level or you're a senior manager or you're a senior VP and you can build the team you want. Don't ask permission. You don't need no stinking permission. You're a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> Do the hell you want. <laughs> so you very quietly build a diverse team and start kicking holy ass. And that's when other white men, particularly with fixed mindsets, are like, what's going on over there? How are they getting these results? Why are they doing so well? Oh, here. This is the plan. And then you bring your methodology to the table. This is a way without making any waves whatsoever that you can start to build the team that's going to take your business into the future. Particularly if it's someone who understands AI because that's coming for everyone. It's coming through everyone. So that is the big highlight here for you to recognize the fixed mindset in the room will never be open to the kind of changes that are going to give them the results that they're asking for. And when they say they want something different, they're not saying they want something different. They say they want a different outcome, but they want to do everything the same. That's what they're saying. Just to be clear, I want to smashing their, their fist on the table. We need to do something different just as long as it doesn't challenge my core beliefs or cause me to change in any way. Do you understand? Good. Go get it done. You might as well tender your resignation. Or you can start building teams that will do that thing. That is a place to start. And eventually, because not th thankfully, thankfully, not all senior leaders are fixed mindset, but so many are, thankfully. And for those who aren't, for those who are, I'll, I'm open to anything. Really? What about bringing someone who doesn't look like us onto this decision-making team and giving them a voice and the impact and us making changes in the way we do things around here so they feel like they belong? Are you open for that? You're going to have to, it's going to be uncomfortable. Are you open to the discomfort that is needed to move your company and, and, and us as an organization and as a community into the future? Are you willing to get that uncomfortable? This is not something white men are taught to think about or do, frankly. White men are taught, see what you want, turn it into object, go get it. And if you don't go get it, try harder, go get more, keep go getting that object. You're taught to dominate your environment and cause it to bend to your will instead of cooperating with it and collaborating with it. That's just not training that most white men have. So this is being asked of men who have found a lot of success without having to get on this uncomfortable. So if you are the white man who is creating the first wave, just recognize that. Like, where are you? Do you have a fixed mindset that you're going to have to, to do your own thing and, and finally show the value? Or do you have someone who is so desperate, who is so, who is, here, it, here's the situation. Sometimes this can break a fixed mindset or someone who is on the fence, who isn't quite so rigid, the fear of not changing must be greater than the fear 
of the discomfort of change. Let's say that again. I know most of you know this. Give you time to write it down. For the leaders who say they want something different and claim that they are ready to do the thing, the criteria for that thing being successful, generally speaking, and I know I'm being very simplistic and reductionist here, but that's what how it goes in a highlight episode. The fear of not changing must be significantly greater than the fear of the discomfort of the change because they are going to be grieving their old ways. There's a lot of emotional shit that goes on with this, folks. This is generational trauma we're talking about in the boardroom, in the C-suite. And if we're not recognizing it, then we're missing an opportunity to help these men along the way. They're going to be grieving their old life. This is real. And if you don't acknowledge it, good luck. This isn't touchy-feely shit. It is hard for these men to change. It's hard for anybody to change. The fear needs to be real and it needs to be significantly greater to compel them to go through it, to go through the grief, to be reborn in a new world where the pie continues to get bigger. Extricating a man's psyche from the zero-sum game is not easy for anybody. And if they really believe that if they don't do it, then they're going to lose everything. Well, now maybe we've got a fighting chance. Thank you for your time, everybody. Appreciate you. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for spending your time with me today. I appreciate you listening and taking in all of the incredible conversations that I have the privilege of having with these remarkable guests Please take a moment to share or rate and leave a comment. It really helps people understand what we're doing here. I hope this gives you some tools to be an active ally or help another be an active ally and a sponsor for those who are underrepresented so that we can make the pie bigger. This is not a zero sum game. And the purpose of this podcast is to be the rising tide that lifts all ships. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.